The Fail On Podcast, episode 028. I genuinely loved, really more than anything, which is what I still love, making people smile. And so when I did the same day at it, they smiled, they laughed, they cried, they hugged, they high-fived. That's what I lived for. Welcome to The Fail On Podcast, where we explore the hardships and obstacles today's industry leaders face on their journey to the top of their fields through careful insight and thoughtful conversation. By embracing failure, we'll show you how to build momentum without being consumed by the result. Now, please welcome your host, Rob Nunnery. Hey there, and welcome to the show that believes failing in a hyper-focused way is the only way to create freedom and quit your job. In a world that only shares successes, we dissect the struggle by talking to honest and vulnerable entrepreneurs. And this is a platform for their stories. And today's story is of Michael Gebbin. Michael bypassed college and started his own production company, GebbTV.com, at the age of 19. And since starting his first business, he has done video production for successful entrepreneurs all over the world, including Richard Branson, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Pat Flynn, Lewis Howes, Derek Halpern, and the list just goes on and on. And the actual story of how he got started in all of this is just absolutely inspiring. We'll be discussing how Michael was able to get out of a tiny town and overcome all odds to become one of the world's most renowned videographers. Michael will share how he leverages free work and how he landed his first filming gig for Tim Ferriss. And he goes into a simple strategy for creating strong customer relationships and delivering excellent service just through genuine kindness and doing your best work for others. But first, I'm on the road a lot nowadays, and thankfully I'm traveling lighter than I ever have before. Can't say the same about my wife, but hey, that's that's neither here nor there. And all I travel with now is a backpack and just a few pieces of clothing for one reason only. It's a shirt from a really sweet Toronto apparel company called Unbound Merino. They have clothes made out of merino wool. And get this, you can wear it for months on end without ever needing to have it washed. And there is science backing behind that, I just don't know it. But talk about a traveler's absolute dream. Never check it back again. Check in at the show notes page for an exclusive fail-on discount that you won't get anywhere else. And if you'd like to stay up to date on all the fail-on podcast interviews and key takeaways from each guest, simply go to failon.com and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. That's failon.com. I want to dig into how you got started with all the big names and filming for them. But first... Take, take, take us back to the very first time that somebody actually gave you money in exchange for a product or service that you created. You know, it's, it's interesting. I've always kind of been entrepreneurial. And this will tie into, you know, I think some of the questions you were going to ask me about failure. And that's what this is really about. And what's interesting, we moved into this house and it had a football field. And my parents tell me that I wanted to cut a hole in the fence and, you know, sell hot dogs and popcorn to the opposing team. <laughs> well, that failed. That was like seven years old. I never, you know, executed on that. Like most people with ideas, we don't execute. But, you know, really what had happened is my dad's always been into film and video and he made these silent films in the 80s and we made these goofy movies and he works at a cemetery and so i had made a slideshow for an aunt that passed away and this funeral home caught wind how old are you by the way oh uh, yeah i was i was probably 17 years old okay so i was about 17 years old and uh, and mind you i had a candy machine business in high school like i tried all these different things and and you know none of it ever really went anywhere and i didn't know whether i was going to go to college or not or what i was going to do and so i got asked by this funeral home to make these slideshows and that was kind of my first 
thing in video. I mean, I had had a paper out. Which did they I, just come to you because it was such a small town, or they just knew that you did this well, slideshow thing? Well, my dad, again, was, worked at a cemetery. Okay, okay, okay. So Got they it. were connected, and, and they knew it was a small town. So, I mean, they had talked. They had known that my dad and we made these little movies and stuff because we had some, like, showings at our local, you know, the theater and, and stuff. But, I mean, I had a paper out, which I, I come to find out a lot of these billionaires had paper out. So I'm like, all right, I'm, you know, I've got one. One something. Yeah. <laughs> but no, in, in, in video production, that was my first thing that I, I had made some money with. I was about 17 and that it was a junior. I was a junior in high school and I made, I think, $4,000 that first year as a junior, like doing these slideshows. And then I also filmed some plays and my senior year did even more slideshows, filmed some more plays. I also made a video yearbook for my senior class and I made about $8,000. And when I got done and graduated, I was still working, which is another part of my story, at a beer distributor because it was right next to my the cemetery that my dad works at. So I'd worked there from like 12 to this summer I graduated and I tried to get like a quarter raise. Oh, you started working at the beer distributor when at 12, 12 years old? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, there's these little nuances. You know, I, I've got a lot. We need like four hours to get through everything, but I'm trying to, you know, sure. be succinct here. But yeah, I, I started there when I was 12, which is crazy. I mean, I was literally in a room alone with <laughs> bottles of beer, cans, everything, cleaning them off. I was called the breakage boy. But I wanted to get a quarter raise. And this is an interesting thing that I think that I actually just saw this video appear in my Facebook feed recently. That was from a couple of years ago where I saw the guy who I went into to get this quarter raise and they wouldn't give me, I'd been there, I don't know, six, seven years doing, I mean, cleaning up the trash. I mean, doing anything for these people and they used to get new cars every year and all this stuff. And so I just wanted a quarter more and they wouldn't give it to me. And so I think I made it through that summer of 2005, right after I graduated in May of 2005 from high school. And and then I quit. I, I, I said, you know what? This is this is ridiculous. And I thought, I told my parents, I said, just give me one year, just one year, and we'll see what happens. Because they weren't necessarily, you got to go to college. I know some people's parents, like, you got to go to college. Mine were more, that's the thing I should do. But I think where some people go wrong is they might just say, I'm just not going to college. I'm just not going to do this. But I had had a little momentum already. I had made some money and I said, just give me one year. Let me see what happens with this thing. And if it, if it works, great. And if it doesn't, I can always go so back. So those previous two years, you went from 4000 to 8000 Were you like really hustling to get that 4000 8000 or was it kind of just organically growing, snowballing? No, I would say I, I wasn't hustling. Like really, I was, you know, I, I don't know that I really controlled the slideshows like that was how many people died and then how many people the, <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that, but how many people the, the, the funeral home convinced to do the slideshow and, and mind you at the time I mean I think it was for a single one I, I started as low as maybe $50 got as high at one point in time is maybe $250 $300 but we had a thing where you know so many photos a dollar photo more and then the big thing I made some extra on is if family wanted it so they may pay $75 for the initial slideshow but we were charging like $25 for DVDs. So 10 people would get a DVD, be an extra 250 bucks. So it was like 325. And, and it, so it didn't take, you know, you figure 10 projects like that was $3,000. So it wasn't a lot. And I mean, I was in, at one point in time, I was at Jimmy John's, the paper out, doing the slideshows. And I worked at the beer distributor simultaneously. all the same time. Okay, simultaneously. Yeah. I mean, I'd get up in the morning, do the paper out, go to school all day, go to the uh, beer distributor. And then after that, I would make the slideshow in the evening. And I tried to be so hyper-efficient in school that I like never had homework. Sure. So, so do, do your homework while you're in class. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So. Got it. Yeah. 
So, so you were hustling. You necessarily weren't like bussing at marketing for the video, but right. you had a lot going on. I definitely was busy, very busy, but I wasn't, you know, pounding down every funeral home in, 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 a, in the continental, <laughs> you know, radius of my Got home. it. So take us through kind of chronologically. What, what was next? So you took that, you said, give me that year. I want to see what I can do with it. How'd it go? So that, that, that first year, and I think some people, we always want to compare to everybody else. Like I've had people now who come up to me and go, well, I'm 20 years old and I'm doing X, Y, Z. And what I try to say is, is like in that first year, I still lived at home in my parents' basement for the first year. So my expenses, now granted a guy that I met and we somehow convinced to buy this property that I then just rented from him. So I didn't have to go through the buying process or anything. We paid like maybe $500 a month to rent this this building that then I had as kind of a storefront for, I mean, when I was at the beer distributor, people called me Gebs. And when I was starting it, I had like business cards with, I mean, I was the guy, I'm sure people can relate to this who, you know, every time I had an idea, I bought business cards from Vista Print. I got websites <laughs> hey, that was made. Me. I really did the same stuff. So, you know, I had cards with Michael Gebbins videography, like free Vista Print, like, you know, shipping cards or whatever. And and this guy said, you know, it should be Geb's total video. Like you're doing everything right. And and we'll get tie that in later. But that's what we did. We did everything. I mean, I did film transfers to DVD, tape transfers like VHS to DVD. We did the photo slideshows, filming graduations, dance recitals. I was at a Pentecostal church service once in a real bad part of town with like barbed wire around the fence and they were speaking tongues at the at the at service and I was, you know, pretty scared and we got like 250 bucks and one time we went out with a couple buddies and, you know, we were gone for eight hours, 250 bucks split between the three of us, sure. you know, and it was just, it was that time where, you know, what I found and we'll probably be jumping around here yeah, a little yeah. bit, but no, it's okay. I see a lot of people who are really successful and they got to where they got to kind of by accident. And the more that, that we premeditate on the way it should look, the way it should go, how it should happen, and we have all these expectations, we get down a lot. And then- Are you talking about when people are thinking about like what business to start? Like I want to have, like this is exactly how, how, how it has to go for the first yeah. two years, three years. Yeah, and they're planning yeah. out to get the business right. plans or just the fact that of planning out a business per se. Like I've had, especially in the creative arts, like I've had- well, you'll probably meet Ash and Kyle. It's Ash Forrest. And they took photos at Mastermind Talks last year. And they f did my wedding and everything. But like, she just kind of like me with, with getting into the weddings, like a friend knew she liked to take some photos of just random things. And then they said, could you photograph a wedding? And then literally it just, it just snowballed. And So you're saying sometimes it's better not to overanalyze stuff, well, right? I think it's something that we've all probably said at some point in time and we hear people say it and I know that I've said it to people which is this follow your passion thing and I think what's interesting is I know that I've bought into that concept before but what I've really recognized is that all the things that I either have done or do now or am excited about doing we're not my passions at all like what I'm doing right now and, and this energy and this I mean you I think you saw the little video that's this like 60 second video of when I was 18 oh yeah in high school yeah, yeah. so there's and, and maybe you can link it up and yeah, show notes if you got it and stuff like no one would have ever guessed especially in high school <laughs> like what I'm doing now outside of so video different. yeah it's so different and and so to to act like follow my passion on that it, it wasn't. I would have never been able. So when people are looking for their passion, I think that they don't ever find it sometimes because they're looking for it. And sometimes what we're, I mean, even with value, I found that my, 
who I am naturally, it's not a tactic, is actually where I bring the most value to people. But because it's easy, I didn't put a lot of value on. I'd have all these people that, that you know and people from these big communities, people I look up to saying these things. And I just kept devaluing it because I'm like, it's who I am. It's not what I do. And yet I bring the most value to people with the thing that's easy. But I think people think if it's not hard, if it's not difficult, if it's not, you know, takes tons and tons of time. And just for some context yeah, with, please, with please. what... Stop me at any point in time. No, too. what you're saying, it's no. I think it's super important. But you're saying, in context of who you are, you had people telling you what? That in context of who I am, that my energy, my passion, my enthusiasm, all that is inspirational. You bring inspirational, people up, right? You motivate when, but people. But when I'm filming, yeah, that's the thing. Like I'm thinking when I'm filming, I'm getting this beautiful imagery. We put a great video or edit together. But when I kept asking people, why are you hiring me? Why do you want me? They would not say anything about my video work. They would say stuff about me. And that's where, I mean, literally it's been in the last few months. I mean, we're talking about so you're, you're 2006, you're, 2005, yeah. where we started this little video journey. It's been literally 2017 before finally I've accepted that your video work sucks, but you're a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's why these people hire me. I am overly an awesome guy. Yeah, no, but I mean, I know that that's solid, but I think even the future economy is built on the fact that, I mean, people have been saying this even when I started, but truly there is so much abundance in regards to easy access for a 10-year-old to have a great camera that films as good as my $3,000, $4,000 camera when I started. And so, but Anybody can create the great work now, but I think I just heard uh, Tucker Max on James Altucher's podcast say people have to tell the truth and, and not the truth of what they think is out there in the world, but their truth. And I think that when you're honest and transparent, you really are you. As cliche as it is, there's a power to that and a uniqueness that you can bring to the table rather than trying to emulate others, which I've done. I mean, I, I, you know, to take you a little bit more through that journey, like, you know, I didn't know, I remember doing my first wedding. I, I told my, like my good friend who was in our goofy movies, parents live next to these people who were getting married and they said, Hey, doesn't Patrick film? And he goes, no, it's his friend, Michael. And so they got a hold of me and I was like, I don't know, uh, $500. And then I told my mom and she cleans houses and she says, well, I think Andrea just got married and they just got their DVD. You want me to grab it so you can look at it? So like when I started, there wasn't a million options to even look at. And I look back and I'm like, that thing was crap. But I remember thinking, wow, they charged $1,800 and I was charging 500 I thought they were ripping the people off. Mm. And I can go deeper on even the the money mindset stuff because I know that's big for, for people. But Yeah, just for somebody... Like we talked, you talked about looking for your passion. So, so for somebody that doesn't necessarily have a business or they're stuck in a job they don't like, what do you recommend for them in terms of figuring out what to pursue? Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, for me, I have this shirt on right now and we've talked a lot about this and you, you listen to the, the audio and everything of this concept of massive imperfect action. And for me, this this MIA, this imperfect action is that and I know the concept of the whole podcast is failing. So this is this is so powerful because we think that everything needs to be perfect. I've I've spoken in a lot of different groups and I ask how many people like the Lord of the Rings. And I can't tell you, like we 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 spoke one time in front of these troops, or I spoke in front of these troops and like no one raised their hand. No one in the whole audience. There was like 250 people there. Right. They didn't like the Lord of the Rings. And then I've been other ones, everybody does, and I've been other ones, it's 50-50. But I always kind of go back to say, yeah, but it did like 
from a financial, which was everybody gets caught up in anyways half the time, it did really, really, really well, you know? And so everybody's got an opinion. So when you let others dictate to you what you should and shouldn't do, what you should try, what you shouldn't try, and then you worry about what they're going to think and, you know, I'm going to make a fool of myself. The reality is the more you fail, the more you, which to me, I've reframed just to learning experiences. I think we talked about that. Like, you know, when you make mistakes, when you take action, like that's how, like I have learned so much more from doing. So when you don't know what to do, rather than being paralyzed and and literally just continuing to, I mean, God bless the podcast and things like this, but continuing to listen to things and read things and watch things all the time and get, get in your head. Overconsumption, right? Yeah, like exactly. Can, and it's almost like mental masturbation, which I talk about a lot, which is just overconsumption of just stuff or without doing anything because right. it's just taking you away from actually taking action, which... You know, while you need to educate yourself, obviously, which is why this podcast exists, why books exist and yeah. all of that stuff, you got to use what you, you got to take what you learn. Well, exactly. And, and people, there's always, and I think that, you know, the fact that you're doing this, you could have had things running through your mind. There's a million other people doing podcasts. Yeah, I should, you know, that's we all, still, that's still in my I, mind. I get it. And, and so, but I think that that's back to that truth and being your unique self that I struggled with for a long time. And like through video, when I blew up. And, and maybe that'll tie in now. You can keep, like I said, stop me at any time. But I stopped trying to just copy everyone else that I was being inspired by. Like I literally wasn't being me. I was going into weddings trying to take an edit from somebody who I looked up to and replicate you that edit. You being you in terms of how you were filming or just being you in terms of your personality and I, how I you really were? I really think it's, it's, it is me. Like letting – like. I talk about this concept I call the my way decision and this was in, in 2000 – so to take you – I mean there's there's a lot that happened. But from when I started, like May 1st, I opened the doors to this place in 2006. I didn't have anything major happen that people – like what you mentioned here at the beginning of the podcast until 2011. But 2010, by that time I had shot, I don't know, a few hundred weddings potentially but – I was nine months plus behind delivering these wedding videos. Like I didn't want to answer the phone, email. I didn't want to go to the movies. I didn't want to do anything because I thought these people are going to chew me out. Like they're going to be pissed off. And I don't like – because the way I'm wired, like I don't like confrontation. I don't like to disappoint people. And so that was scary for me to think because I was procrastinating on it. What I found was – and through all my – like learning and, and, and really trying to become more self-aware and understand myself better and how I'm wired, I, I recognize that it's people is my sweet spot. And when I get to deal with, so back to the shooting or whatever it is I do, if I'm dealing with people and I'm talking, I'm connecting, I'm winning. But when I'm dealing with machines and numbers and details or I'm stuck in a room like we're in right now, <laughs> if you can see, maybe we can add a picture of this room. We'll take a little selfie yeah, in it. Yeah, but yeah. like, but I'm by myself and I'm not dealing with anybody. I'm just at the computer editing. I don't want to do it. Now I was, you know, I say just because you can doesn't mean you should. Well, I did a lot of things that I could do, but I really shouldn't have. And editing is one of those things. Like there are people who are far better editors than me. And so this my way decision was essentially I'm going to shoot the way I want, edit the way I want, dress the way I want, speak, pick out the music. Like it sounded very selfish. What I found was was more bad was actually I equate it to like a, a sushi chef and an all-you-can-eat buffet. So a lot of people, they're not confident enough in what they do, which I've – all this is talking out of you know context <laughs> for me. I, I, sure. I, I fell into all this. I wasn't confident enough when somebody came up to me. I mean I was Geb's total video. 
everything for everybody. So that's the all-you-can-eat buffet. Somebody comes to you, tells you what they want. In your mind, you go, here we go again. Another one of these clients It's going to be a pain in the ass. But out of your mouth comes, sure, we can do that. <laughs> and you bitch and moan and complain and, and procrastinate and whatever else and probably don't do your best work with them because – you know, you needed the money, whatever. And so what I found was, is luckily I was at a place in time where I had enough work. I was actually very overwhelmed with how much stuff I had been able to, to build up, but I couldn't keep up with it. And so when I decided to do that, and it came out of the fact I was, I thought value was more. And this is where I think we all, we think if I'm going to charge more, I need to add more stuff, add more time. It needs to take longer. And so I was doing already about 10 to 12 different videos and I was charging around maybe $3,500 and I said, how can I charge more? Maybe I should add more videos, right? And I had talked to a few couples because I did this thing called a same day edit. I'd shoot that day. I would show the video that night. So the only thing that saved me with a lot of these people from being super pissed is they had actually gotten a video from me, but they still were owed like upwards of nine, 10, 11 other videos. And I talked to a few that had their DVDs with everything on it for six plus months. And all of them kept telling me, oh my God, that same day edit, the same day edit. And in my mind, I'm going, what about the other stuff? It took me forever. <laughs> and they'd say, we haven't watched any of it yet. And so I had this like epiphany. And, and in this time, which will tie into these people, I read uh, Leo Bauda's, I think I always say his last name right, uh, but Zen Habits blog, which had a guest post from Tim Ferriss, which would then I read the four hour work week. And this was in late 2010. And then that's when I was kind of going through this, what do I do, what do I do? He talks about the 80-20, which we can yep. dive if the people aren't, if you want to. But I recognized that I was actually spending 80% of my time on things that barely made me any money. And 20% of my time was making me 80% of my income, which was this same day edit. And so I took a bold move that scared the crap out of me, which was to remove, let's call it, I was giving them 12 to remove 11 of the videos more or less and give them this same day edit. So I was spending 45 minutes on the phone before going over all the different videos we're getting. Now it's like, what are we going to talk about? (laughs) And what I found is, is that I actually charging same price, same price. And what I found is that literally in that next 12 to 24 months, my business doubled twice. Things really just took off, but you're probably happier too. I was happier. I had more. Well, I started to dig a little bit out of the hole for six to 12 months actually, but I, I knew that I saw the light. And it wasn't easy. I mean, that was a, I mean, the girl I just married in October, we were together for three years from 2006 through late 2009 and 2010 and 11, we weren't together. And it's something that um, I went all in on my business and I didn't focus at all on personal relationships or anything. And then that suffered and I had to flip with that as well. It's a common common problem amongst entrepreneurs. Yeah. yeah. So reel me back in. Well, you got some. No, no, no. So no, it's it's all good context. So going into so videography, that was that was kind of how you got a name for yourself, right? You started you started building the business, charging more, cutting back features, valuing your time more. Yeah. And how did you actually start getting into filming for some of the people that I mentioned before, like Tim Ferriss? And- so it's interesting. I think that this is where sometimes you can't plan things. Is that I well, one the four hour work week brought out the inner entrepreneur, the the candy machine guy and all this different <laughs> yeah. stuff. He talks about the muse and da, 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 you know, all that stuff. And so I, I actually had seen, I had my paper out for about six, seven, eight years. I worked at the beer distributor about the same amount of times. Well, come around 2010, 11, I was getting on that same amount of time I've been doing the video stuff. 
And so when I read that, it, it sparked something inside of me. And I actually had started a little bit to lose some of my interest in video. So what's interesting, the reason I got into all these really influential people that you've mentioned is I, <laughs> I first, Tim Ferriss was the first one. And the way the rabbit hole of all these things happened was I really just wanted to meet the people. So Tim Ferriss' book had, I read it, it really had a huge impact on me. I had seen on his blog, he said he had the four-hour work week was a, a free launch party he had back in 2007. I was like, oh my God, I wish I would have known about that. Yeah. So when he announced the four-hour body, late 2010, it was $10 in New York City. And I'm from Illinois. And I immediately gobbled up the ticket. And then I thought, you know what? And this is a big thing about failure. Might have been one of your questions. We'll, we'll okay. kill it right now. Let the uh, questions are out the window. Let's just, good, we're just chatting. Good, good, yeah. So basically, I think he said something like this in the book, which was the worst thing that's going to happen, you get a no. You get a no when you don't ask, you don't try. At least when you try, there is an opportunity for something good to happen. Love that. And so I thought, well, what do I have to lose? Because I'm already losing if I don't do this. And so that's a big failure thing, quote unquote, for everybody. It's like the worst thing you're fearing, it's already in my mind, at least that's the way I think, it's already happened. Like the bad things happened. You can't, not a big buying lottery ticket guy, but you don't win the lottery if you don't buy the ticket. So anyways, I essentially decided, well, I saw some comments that people said they needed a refund because they were under 21. It was 21 and Mm. older. And Tim left a reply, email, it doesn't even matter anymore, but charlie at the fourhourbody.com. That was Charlie Hone, his assistant. And I thought, what the heck do I got to lose? I sent him, I actually had done, so a big concept that we'll tie in here that I do is I've done a lot of free work and I use it at the time. I didn't look at it this way, again, accidental, but I've been able now, I can use it very strategically, but I remove expectations of like what's going to happen. So I had done this Halloween party just in October because I didn't, I had mainly weddings. I wasn't doing anything but weddings. Like I had these little oddball things and these tape transfers and stuff still, but weddings were generating again, 80, 90% of my income. And so I filmed this Halloween party and I sent the Halloween party to Charlie and I said, Hey, I'm going to be there in New York, but I'd love to, to film for you guys. If you, if you need somebody, I'll do it for free. I'll be there anyway. So just let me know. If you don't want it, no problems. I'll see you there. Yeah. If you do, you know, let me know. And within one hour of sending that email, I got a, I got a reply. And, and he said, Tim loves it. Love to have you. And I like flipped out. You know, I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, what the heck? I can't believe this. And, and that really was truly, I mean, the spider web from, from sending that email in like December of 2010 to the, this snowball of things, a spider web effect that just like splintered off of things that happened from me making that decision to, to send that email. I, I flew out on my dime. I didn't even get a hotel. I had a shoot. It was on a Tuesday. Yeah. I ended up sleeping at the baggage claim Tuesday night because I had to get home on Wednesday to shoot something. Mm. And I think that sometimes opportunity stares us right in the face. And because we're scared of and not everything has i want to make clear for people too not everything i I get not everybody's i wouldn't even say i was that's a whole other story financially in a great position either right but i've done a lot of little things sometimes sometimes they're 50 bucks sometimes they're five to eight thousand dollars and everywhere in between all the way to just it's my time and that's it but you got to be willing to to take those. Like I got on a podcast one, or a, it was actually with Alex Icon. I don't know if you know Alex and and Mimi, but you know they live in London, and he wanted to do just like you're doing right now, and we're doing the interview in person for his YouTube channel, 
and we kept missing each other on every other. So they were at Underground Online Seminar in New Orleans. And literally, I flew to New Orleans only to do that like interview with him in person. You know, he, he didn't pay me to to do that. And I mean, I didn't have to spend that much, but it was still three to five hundred bucks. But my YouTube channel went up by a few thousand subscribers. I mean, yeah. I just did the same thing with James Altucher. I wasn't going to be in New York, and I just said, "I'm just going to come. Exactly I'm just going to come and do it." Right. So I think there's a, it's such a hugely valuable. Yeah, lesson. it's serendipity can happen when you put yourself in, and you never know what. And that's I think the the key. And I can kind of tie this in for people because this is this is truly what has. I joke it's super corny. I used to give these talks and I never – I was completely all over the place. Right. No order at all, which is kind of how I'm wired at, at times. But <laughs> I, I did this one in Germany and I came up with this GEBS as an acronym. And I had the G, the E. And, and so the G is for giving and I just give unconditionally. Like give, 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 give. And when you think you've given too much, give some more. I don't really – it's how I'm hardwired though. That's why I kind of joke like some of this stuff is – I mean – I think sometimes people, certain people can make mental shifts and go, okay, I can get that. Other people, it'll be really hard for them. They're just not wired that way to want to do things. So G for giving, just give to everybody and help whenever I can. And the next one, which is the biggest one I think for me at times is expectations. So many times I've had so many expectations and then I'm let down and I'm let down. And I think sometimes people – They've heard a podcast or bought a course or they've gone to a seminar and people set their expectations up certain ways. Oh, you can do this. And I mean, I'm at my my buddy's Todd Herman's 90 day year event, but he's not saying that you're going to be a millionaire in 90 days. But some people position people like, oh, in 30 days and 10 days and two weeks, you know, you'll do this and this will happen. Push this button. And so when you get in your mind that something's supposed to happen in two weeks or three weeks or a month and then it doesn't, you get let down. And the more times you get those punches in the face, the harder it is to get back up and do it again, especially if you never had any major taste of quote-unquote success or breakthroughs. So for me, when I've just removed expectations, it's incredible. So Can you give me like an example of that? Yeah, I mean doing these things for people. Like not – I don't go in. I've had people reach out to me that say, well, do you think this is a good but person? How do, you, how do you actually detach the expectation? Because you do this for Tim Ferriss and you're like – at the back of your mind, you've got to be like, well, me, man. I want I'm not something saying, out of yeah, this. Yeah, well, I'm not – here's the thing. He gave me something. His book yeah. had done something for me. Sure. So I was actually in my mind – not not to say – You're paying him back in a way. I'm paying him back in, in a way. And I'm not saying – believe me. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, I go into things and I don't ever think about – nothing's going <laughs> to happen out of this. Like, right. sure, I, I, I think there's a hope. Yeah. yeah, I hope that something happens from Tim. I, But I think the expectation is what's going to happen. Yeah. Like – Tim's going to feature me on the front page of his website and I'm going to get 400,000 people coming to – like that's an ex- that's a very explicit expectation right. of what should happen. For me, I just go, sure, I hope something's going to happen but I don't If nothing happens, it. are you let down though? I think – see, I'd have to, I have to put myself in a mental space to go way back right. because anymore – Typically not because I, I but recognize out, it's probably a little different. And that's right? where you want to frame the you know, people need to recognize it's that imperfect action, it's that testing things because you've got to taste the success at some point in time. If you're the person who's got a nine to five job and you've never really done anything to and I mean for success for me too, which is well, we'll, we'll <laughs> it's the final S. Success is very simple for me. Like it's am I just trying? So I've, I've tried to reframe that success isn't a certain amount of money or debt-free or certain achievements or working with certain people because then that's all these like, what are you in between that? 
Like I try to say, if I have to do all this before I'm successful, then I'm obviously a big freaking failure and unsuccessful the whole time. I, I, I don't want to feel like a failure every day, even though I'm failing every day and making quote unquote mistakes and everything like that. But so I think in the beginning, yeah, I mean, it's difficult to not ever think what if or what could happen. Yeah. But it, it's just a matter of don't wrap your entire being and everything around what you think should happen. Like I have people think I'm going to do this for this guy only to get XYZ. I don't go into these scenarios with I'm only doing this because I expect this to happen. And you know what? When you actually go in wanting something out of it, it comes across, right? Yeah. And I think that's another thing that I guess I've just learned. I'm naturally wired to like – I say if, if you do it for free, you're doing the right – like if you if you were given millions and millions, you never need another dollar in your name, how many things would you stop and how many things would you keep doing? And that's a good little filter for me because I recognize that in my prime of – I've even now reinvented myself within video to see myself in a whole different light than I've ever seen myself before because I wanted to get hyper – like I didn't want anything to do with video for a number of years. And that was because of the way I was associating – I didn't want to be this video guy when I was trying to be this motivational, inspirational, whatever you wanted to call it. And I thought I, I couldn't be them both. But then I started to think of, I joke like Justin Timberlake and these different people like the, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you know, he was the, you know, you know, the wrestler that right. he's, I just heard this song he sang from this Moana movie and I'm like, God, what can't this guy do? <laughs> it's crazy. But I also, you know, he's 40 something years old. Yeah. So we take for granted age and, you time know, they time they stuff. put in yeah. and commitment, but so yeah, I'll finish real quickly yeah, the, yeah. the other little the, oh, just to go back to what you said. Yeah, go S, ahead. S for success yeah, on, just, on Gebs. Yeah. So we had you're saying G success forgiving. is trying. Trying, yeah. I love that. I mean, because I think that like I've said, if we have it any other way or we're comparing against others, you know, everybody well, a lot of people, I won't say everybody, but a lot of people know Gary Vaynerchuk in the entrepreneurial space right now. And I think that what people take for granted is he's truly an anomaly. And there are people we look up to who are actors, athletes, who are anomalies. Yeah, he's not normal. He's not normal, right? <laughs> and he would be the first one to you know, ultimately tell you that as well. But I think that what people take for granted is that average Joe, like, and you can still be far above average, you're not going to work 18 hours. Like I'm, I feel like I have an enormous amount of energy, passion, enthusiasm, and I can go pretty hardcore and, and stick with the best. But even for me, like it's hard. To, I've been traveling nonstop here recently, and like it's difficult. And so the fact that he's like up and down on planes every day oh, and this it's and that, crazy. like he's a machine. And, and but he's he's dialed that in. He's hyper self aware, and I think that's that's a big thing I'm passionate about because I think when you own who you are, how you're wired, what you're good at, what you're not. And he says that, and that's something that, you know, I've been working on really hardcore for a few years now, and it's made a huge difference in my life. So success is just just keeping it simple and, you know, just trying. And it could be big or small, and some days you yeah. don't do anything. I but. like that because trying, like, one, you can't fail if you don't try. And I always like to say, if you can't grow unless you're failing. So it all starts with trying, and that's success. I love it. So let's continue the journey. So you did the you did the event with Tim. It went well, obviously. How are you going into that? Because I'm always curious on like, that's probably the biggest thing at that point that you've been like, oh my God, what am I doing? How am I doing this? Like, were you really scared going into the actual performance of video? Like, yeah, right. Yeah. Filming that. You know, nobody's ever asked me that question. I honestly don't remember being hyper. Is that just because you're so like 
Is that because you're so I confident filmed, in your skill set? I think that the thing was is at that point in time, I had filmed – I mean the most pressure someone from a filming perspective sometimes can put on themselves is what I did with weddings. Like there was a lot of people who wouldn't even try that, for example, which was the same day edit. Like, I mean I had to put some of those videos together to show at the end of someone's reception in two and a half hours. I mean I think that the quickest one – they ended up changing the time, said, if you don't show it in, we're not showing it at all. And it was an hour and 45 minutes from start to finish to have a three and a half minute, you know, music video for that couple. And so, you know, I just went in and, and did my thing. I think I was a little bit more nervous maybe to meet Tim initially. But once I was there filming, I wasn't putting together an edit or anything on the spot. So it was just shooting, shoot the crap out of it, you know, and like, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. I think so. it, it's interesting because like with shooting. You, you can just shoot everything. You can always edit later, right? Yeah. So it's about just capturing everything. Yeah, capturing as much as, I mean, I've, I've learned to, I've developed an intuitive nature about myself where I kind of know what I need. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm always kind of ready, but I'm not filming nonstop. Like my original same day edits, I'd have four hours of footage and 45 minutes was decent. And I had to cut through all of it. Now I might film an hour and 15 minutes and to a degree cutting the beginning and end off of clips like, Everything I've got there is is pretty solid. I mean, there's always junk, but it's pretty excellent. But it, it's pretty solid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. but but it but you know, again, taken for granted. We can talk about something that's five years in two seconds. But you know, that's the thing. Like people, I think we see people's todays and we want it right now. Yeah. And we live in this instant world. So, you know, you get inspired by somebody and you want to get into whatever and you start doing it. But you're somebody was telling me recently. It's Ira Glass. Have you heard of that name? Another name. He has a. a, a this American Life, I think it is, is mm. a podcast. Yeah, yeah. And he has this thing, I've been hearing it recently, people saying it, where your quote-unquote expectations and your taste of what greatness looks like or what an amazing video or art or podcast or whatever is, because you see these other people, is far greater than your skill set or talent is today. And so when you start doing and you start taking action, you're typically going to suck and it won't look anything like what you envision it could look like, but you haven't put in the the thousands of hours, and and I think that that's again the expectation thing. Recognizing your vision might be, you know, super grand, yeah. but when you f do your first thing, you know it's going to be hard. Like it's like tying it back to this podcast. Like this is new. It's still new for me, yeah. right? And it's it's still outside my comfort zone. But like you said, I'm. I'm trying. But, and you, you know, like so you just were with James. James has done 200 and something. Yeah, what yeah, are you exactly. on right now? Not even 20, probably? <laughs> 20, 25. Oh, you're on 25. Is, you're 25. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay, cool. Cool. So, you know, but I mean, give it another 200 more and, and, yeah, and exactly. the flow and the zone exactly. and, and everything will be, you know, it'll be great. But it's with anything, so. right? It's, it's like that with anything. Yeah. It, like, I grew up playing tennis. I okay. remember the first, and I went to, went to college on a tennis scholarship. Okay. I remember. Sounds like my brother. <laughs> my dad, for the first, so I basically quit baseball to play tennis, 11, 12 years old, and obviously get made fun of at school. Like, oh, you're going to quit baseball and these other sports to play tennis. Sport. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But the one great thing my dad did was he threw me into these tournaments without me even being like really prepared or knowing what I was doing. So I played, I remember I played nine tournaments in a row, just getting demolished. Didn't win a match. I don't even think I won a set for those that are familiar with tennis. And it was probably one of the best things that he could have done because it taught me to be okay with losing, right? And, it, and that's that's where I actually grew the most was like, oh, I'm so tired of losing. It made me really devote more time to developing the skills. 
You know, I actually, it's funny you say that. I just had my wife in a scenario. We were on a shoot recently and I threw her right in the fire. I called it. She's like, you give me one of the most important things. I said, I trust you, but here's the thing. And everybody who's ever kind of, you know, come under me and that I kind of mentored or trained as a, as a, a editor or a shooter, I just threw them right in the fire. And, and that's how I found that they learned the best. Like all this theoretical stuff is ridiculous. And that's where a lot of us are. We're in this theoretical, we're in our heads. What if this could happen this way? This, you know, our expectations, this is how it's going to go. And then every time you take that action and you do it, it never goes anywhere near how you thought it was going to go. It's so true. So after Tim, what was the next big gig you got? Biggest one was Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins. That yeah. was Date with Destiny, right? Actually, or is it different? We, no, we the the so Jason Gaynard actually he had gone to date with Destiny with his wife, and it said something like fourteen grand. He posted online yeah. or somewhere, and I was still very much under a mindset of like, wow, that's never gonna happen. You know, I was <laughs> right. like, I'll never be at that, or that's so yeah. expensive, and I can't believe he spent that much money. So then he announced the UPW, that's unleashed the power within, and it was like five hundred dollars. I thought, got that, you know. But then I went back to this place of thinking, well, maybe I can do the same thing I did with Tim. So, you know, sometimes being naive uh, how, is an how, advantage. How long after is this? This was almost one year. Okay. Yeah, this was one year. So I actually met who we keep mentioning. I'm sure you'll probably be able to get him on here, Jason Gaynard. We've, he's already, yeah. He's already yeah, recorded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we've yeah, already okay. recorded. Good. So probably people have heard him. So he was actually, I got asked by Tim to film his kimono event, which was this event he held. It was like $10,000 per person. And I met Jason Gaynard there. That was in August of 2011. And he was really the only person I I really connected with there. Like I hadn't been around a lot of quote unquote really influential people. So we just happened to eat dinner one time, kind of hit it off, became good friends. So you're shooting the event? I shot that event. Yeah, I shot that event. And you were able to enjoy the... Festivities. I, I got to interact. So, okay. I mean, I, I, you know, if I'm not getting paid, yeah, exactly. Uh, typically, which that one actually, you know, was another one I kind of did pro bono. I try to find a blend, and people end up as long as they know they're getting the quote unquote product they want, you know, the final result. They typically don't hound me too much, and I think you know the beggar can't be a chooser sometimes as right. well is what I found. Like when I go do things, you know, I am not now, I don't come and then not do anything, of course, <laughs> right. produce, but you know, yeah, I mean, I, I try to find that blend. And, so and just, just on that note, it kind of just gets me thinking because I know a big, a big portion of my success has come from kind of elevating the network, right? So you were doing these free events, you're shooting for free, but you were being, you're surrounding yourself with all of these, you know, really successful, amazing people. How much did that attribute to kind of growing your mindset and growing what you believed was possible. Oh, I think it's everything. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, that whole, I think Jason says your network is your net worth. I can look back and know what happened. Like, how should I say it? Like looking back now, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So now I can more curate and do things a certain way and hope that certain results might, you know, not, not having expectations on right. it. But like, I, I know that something I may do today that four years from now, something could happen. That's the difference in X. Like, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I just have seen it happen too many times. So like being around these people who from a mental standpoint are the top of their game. You know, I got to interact once you, you, you may appreciate this because I filmed this tennis charity event on oh, yeah. Necker Island. And yep. I got to be with the Bryan brothers. Nice. And, you know, I asked him, I did this little interview with him and, and I asked Mike Bryan, you know, how much of it is mental versus talent? And he's like, I think he said something like 90% mental. Because when you reach that level, 100%, yeah. 
that difference between winning and losing is so minute. And so one time I went to this thing with my parents. It was the, uh, you might know it, the one in Ohio, the Western something. Oh, yeah, Western. Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I saw the Bryan brothers and I had talked to them for hours. They they had seen them two years in a row. Yeah. Barely acknowledged me, definitely saw me, would have known who I was, really? didn't interact in almost any capacity, walks right by me. Two weeks later, I get an email, hey, man, it was great seeing you. And I found that, and I've done this with Tony Robbins, I've seen this, it happened, same thing, barely acts like he knows who I am. By the end of the shoot, we're sitting in the back of the SUV talking about our Yorkies. And like those A players, those top level high performers, they get in a zone. And when they need to be in that zone, or as Tony would say, get in state, yeah. they do not let anything interrupt or disrupt them. That's and that's one thing that I've recognized with these people that's really, really interesting. So to that point, being around these people really elevated my mental game, which I think is of anything that anyone can work on, that's number one. Like above and beyond your skill set when it comes to whatever craft you're working on developing people skills, developing the ability to understand you and really have that that self-awareness and self-understanding. For actually a tangible way to do this, what would you recommend? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I have uh, a couple good friends that I've developed now, and actually one of them came from Mastermind Talks, a guy named Steve Sisler, and he's trained a guy who I'm really good friends with now, Jair Rodriguez. And I remember taking the DISC assessment back when I was doing stuff with Tony. It spits out a document, right. and people probably taking Myers-Briggs or Colby. Colby's a pretty good one. I like it a lot. But a lot of them just spit out the, you know, the results, yeah. and you read through them, and you're like, okay, that's cool. That kind of sounds like me. And then you go on with your life, and quite frankly – being honest, for me, they never did much for me at so all. So for people that don't know, it's just basically a, a self-assessment. self-assessment, yeah. Just to understand your personality type. Yeah, and there's the, the different ones, you know, spit out all sorts of different things. Like Colby talks about you being a quick start or a follow-through, and, and the disc has the, the you're dominant, you're an influencer, you're steady, the compliant, and then there's other things. So when I saw Steve do this thing at Mastermind Talks, I said, Jason, how do I talk to that guy? And I did a call in 2014. Took this assessment again, did a call with Steve, and he went over the graphs, and it blew my mind. Just because he knew who you were like so well, he, or what? Yeah, I mean, business partnerships that I, I mean, all these things that he was able to identify. I mean, you know, because I think that sometimes there's things. It's it's it wasn't necessarily things I didn't. Some of them that I didn't know, but he brought an awareness and he brought a, a clarity to the the verbiage and language around it. Like I've been at Tony Robbins events and different things, and they might say something like, "Well, shit, I've been doing that." Right. Now I have like a name for what I've been doing. You know, I just I just thought it was something I did, and I think that when you get aware, then you can replicate things easier rather than haphazardly and accidentally going about everything in your life all the time. You know, I connect people with with Steve and Jair to be able to take the assessment and and go through, which I actually, I mean, I'll have something. One thing I've done on these podcasts is is having people have the ability to to take that for free when I do the podcast. So we can link something up at the end if you want, because it's, it's really, it's a powerful thing for people to, to do. So. So yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Just in terms of all of the shooting you've done for these big names, have you had any just catastrophic, just failures where it's been like, oh, I cannot believe I did that when the pressure is on with this guy. Well, let's, let's, for example, like this thing I just shot last week, they were real hell bent on why I was putting two mics on them. Mm. And well, what was it you, that you were at? So I was at Michael Port's, we were filming these speaker reels. And what's fascinating is I think 
if you recognize sometimes certain things people do, they're doing them more than likely for a reason. So I'm putting two mics not because I just think it might be the smart thing to do, but because I've had problems Got in it. the past. What, what, one mic failing? Yeah. I mean, I had one, you know, it happened way back with the wedding. So, you know, usually my cameras were upwards of 20, 30, 50 feet away from the couple when they were doing their vows. Yeah. I would only put one mic on the groom. Well, if that mic didn't work, you couldn't hear those vows. Brutal. And so imagine, you know, luckily it happened in my early days when you get paid as much money, but yeah, I mean, you know, wireless mic screwed up. And then it was the other thing. They were wanting to use wireless. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm not a wireless person. So what do we do? We ended up doing a mix match of my recorder like you're using, just put it in the pocket. And it just yep. records. It's self-contained. And then we had their wireless. Well, their wireless messed up a few times. <laughs> and I was like, that's it. Because you could, it was coming through the speakers and you heard it like cutting in and out and doing this weird thing. And, and so for me, specifically, I mean, I've, I've, I've had things like that with the audio, but I'm, I've been super anal for a long time with backups. Like you can't, even if you really only need, like we're, you, you hired me and we really only need one camera on somebody and that's it. Like we filmed all these interviews for Tony's book, the money master, the game book. And he was filming with like billionaires and all these people. And I was originally, they ended up paying me more than somebody else they had. I, I had to use some of their you know, stuff on them. I'm like, guys, are we really getting into money here? Like the reality is I've got a relationship with Tony and you're not going to have to worry. And this is a big thing that I try to do is making people not have to worry when they hire me. So rather than we only needed this and I own, let's say you only need one mic. Like some guys try to sell whatever it is they're selling. They're like, well, you can buy this package or I have all this, I have $40,000 worth of stuff, but you only need 1500 of it. So what I found is is like those, I was filming two cameras on each person, Tony and the person who was interviewing, two microphones on each of them. Did they use all the mics? Did they use all the cameras? No. They might have only used the one camera on the one guy, not any of Tony's, not the second camera, not the other mics, but I knew that I had to have that covered. And we had a few of them where we had the mics like, have a problem on yeah. even Tony's thing. And so there's a lot of things in my mind I can't come to one like catastrophic because I've but really you've... tried to cover my ass, which sure. is the big thing I would tell anybody. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, when the stakes are low, I guess potentially when you're maybe not getting paid much, but I've had high stakes on free jobs because I know <laughs> that I want to deliver. So it's not a throwaway. Like there's certain scenarios, like I'm talking about those opportunities where sure it might be free, might not be getting paid, but you valued those I more value, than the others. Yeah, yeah. I, you value it and you don't want to go there and be like, well, you might only have the chance to do that one time. Yeah. So just because you're not getting paid to do it doesn't mean you can just brush it off as it's not a big deal. And that's part of back to the one thing, GEE, be best. Yeah. I always do my best. Like I, I think that – and it's been – I learned one guy interviewed me. I got emotional the one time I got asked because I never knew where the doing my best came from, but it was my dad. Like he – when he helped – he would help me with my paper out. He, he works at the cemetery. I never could understand – why he poured his heart and soul into this thing. They never seemed to respect him or treat him well and never really got major raises or anything. But one time he he just said, you know, these people, I'm going to actually, <laughs> I'm going to get hit again. You know, he says, you know, these people choose to bury their loved ones here and he wants them to have a great place to, you know, come and remember them. And, you know, I, I just think that I saw that and that he never was vocal. He's, I mean, he's still alive, thank God. But he's he's never been vocal with me about, anything but it's always been a showing and i guess through that showing i always saw him no matter what the scenario always pour his all into it so i guess 
people hearing this, it's something now if you maybe aren't that way because I've met a lot of people. I'm like, God, that's common sense. But for me, it it's is. It's not though. It's not. It's not common sense. And so doing my best is something that I've been ingrained with for a long time. And it's it's taking me, I think, everywhere because it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I always come in. People used to have like people in the weddings. I used to have a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollar package, and somebody who booked the thousand, they really lucked out because they still got the three thousand dollar package. Yeah. Like I wasn't even <laughs> wired thing, to right? like do the the less job, but yeah. I believe it got me to where I I got to because I always just had that mentality. Thanks so. for sharing that, man. That was that's powerful, and I think it reminds me of something actually. I don't know if you've read this book called The Fred Factor. No, I haven't. But I've never heard of it it's actually. About most people haven't, but it's like, it's one book that had a really radical shift where, in my mind, where I read it and then I start seeing the world, I start seeing the world a different way. It's basically about this guy named Fred, who's just a postal worker, but he takes so much pride in what he does that- It chills all, actually like thinking about it. All he does is look for opportunities to make other people's lives better, the people he serves. So it just really reminded and, me and, of your and, dad. And I think, I get chills thinking about it because I think what we take for granted in this world is- that can be you as a postal worker and, and making people smile when they come in. You know, like we're so inundated with all this quit your job stuff too. Like some people aren't meant to quit their job. Right. They're meant to embrace the job they have and, and, and look at it in a different way. And that's mm. what I found in life for me. It's sometimes, you know, say we wear glasses. Yeah. If your glasses are all smeared and dirty and, you know, you can't really see out of them. You know the difference. Anybody especially has glasses, when they take it, they maybe spray it or maybe don't or breathe on it and you, you clear it off. It's night and day. Yeah. And that's how I found I can take the same thing that I had this bad attitude or uh, I was looking at it a certain way and somebody helps me make a mental shift. And that's really honestly what I love doing for people and that's what you're saying this book was kind of about it's like it's a mental shift and that mental shift can transform your life and it's and you're doing the same work or the same thing it's huge it's, it's like it's looking through a different lens essentially exactly it is and it's it's cool because I, I interviewed our mutual friend Joey Coleman yeah and Joey's one of the best guys I know and we were talking and he just made a good point like because I always ask a guest to give the listeners like a directive or action item that they can put into their life today and his was very on on these lines it was give people amazing experiences whether you're in a job like just start just start creating wonderful experiences for who your colleagues your customers and and people will start to notice even though like like we talked about don't attach expectation but just create amazing experiences and your life will change radically Ashton Kutcher said, opportunity looks a lot like hard work in one of these speeches he gave one time. And he's like, when I was the pizza boy, when I was this. And I think that I can look back and every decision, it, no matter what I was doing, I can tie to it. It influenced and impacted where I am today, you know? And I just think that so many people, we, we and I've done this, we, we disregard certain things as if they're, like I said, they're throwaways. And I remember Tony Shea's Delivering Happiness book talked about meeting somebody that had nothing to do with business. The lady wasn't even dating anybody, wasn't with anybody or anything. And years later, she met this person, got with them, got married. And then they ended up, Tony and the person she married, ended up doing business together. And I, I think I've, again, the expectations that we, we go to events. I mean, I've been at events like VidCon with 18,000 13-year-old girls and thought, <laughs> oh my God, why am I here? And I ended up meeting one guy 
the two weeks later flew me out to Seattle and my YouTube channel went up by like 6,000 subscribers. And, but I, I just, I just reached out and said hello and made one connection. And I think that what we take for granted is it only takes one thing, one person, one moment, one anything to literally change the trajectory of our life. So rather than going to events or networking or doing something for somebody and thinking that, you know, I got to meet a million people or thinking I'm going to get this or that out of it. It's just like, keep doing, keep taking that action, not worrying about the outcomes of it and just grow at the craft you may be trying to grow at, get better at it, put in the time, consistently put in the effort and good things will happen. That's what I've seen. You don't know when some people do a lot for a long time and seemingly nothing happens per se, but I think we can curate some of that stuff happening, and that's what I've seen in my life. Like I could have just kept filming weddings, kept kind of moving along in life, but the choice to send that email to Tim Ferriss changed that trajectory. But you know, and I think it's a good point because you wouldn't have had the opportunity to send that email had you not done all the weddings, had you not taken action and, and started and the doing weddings. And that's what you asked me earlier. I make. <laughs> I mean, I have the the greatest experience. I mean, I've met some incredible people through weddings. There was one that helped film my wedding that I filmed her wedding and and I actually inspired her to get into all that stuff. So like I've had incredible friendships that have grown out of the weddings, but seemingly some – that could be – I see a lot of people that even I help sometimes say it's in the video industry and they they look at weddings as such a throwaway thing. Well, I'm going to do weddings for two years, but I really want to do this. If that's already your mindset, I say don't even do the weddings. Go do the thing you're – because – for me, again, it's that filter and lens. I didn't not want – like I don't film weddings anymore, but that came after shooting like 300 plus and I was actually just with Michael Port and he did the Book Yourself Solid for like 10, 12 years and somebody asked him about that and he goes, I just couldn't talk about that stuff anymore. And so sometimes we shift but and we can't reinvent with that thing anymore. But like when I got into the wedding, like I did not hate them. Like I, I genuinely loved really more than anything, which is what I still love making people smile. And so when I did the same day at it, they smiled, they laughed, they cried, they hugged, they high-fived. That's what I lived for. And that's what I live for today. And that's how I've reframed my video work. And everything I do is that I heard, I think it was Danny Meyer from Shake Shack said, it's, you know, we serve smiles and the, and the burgers are free. Like, you know, it's service with a smile. And it's this idea that my video work is really free because it's become commoditized. So you're hiring me as a, as a person and an individual, and I happen to create solid video work, but I guarantee you, and I've had people say it, there are people that produce better videos than I do. But I guess, which is the crazy part, which is everybody listening, be friendly. I don't know if you can figure <laughs> out how to be friendly, but like, I'm like, how many people are that unfriendly? But yeah. God, man, there's a lot of people that I guess just <laughs> either they hate what they do or whatever. But you know, being friendly goes a long Put way. Put a smile on your Put face. Put a smile on your face. So. so, so trying is success for you. What's failure mean to you? Failures, I think now it's everything because when I don't, I learn so much more from when things don't work out than I ever do from when everything's working out right. And I think that the more you become, you kind of step, you know, people say step into it, but you, the more you become comfortable with it, the more awesome things that'll happen in your life. That's what I've started. So you could say, well, was you always that way? Absolutely not. Of course not. You know, I think that anybody listening to these things needs to see people's journey. Where were they and where did they get to? So of course it wasn't in the beginning, but what I'm trying to encourage, and I think you're encouraging is that all these people you're having on, 
we're not rock stars and super confident and you know <laughs> not afraid of failure and all like and and i think you know i have fears it, it's not that things don't run through my mind and we maybe we can go there in a second on some of the things i was talking to you about on on facebook messenger but like for me with video for a long time i'm i'm like hyper confident i mean it's been since about the tim ferris thing to a degree and before that i mean i don't know that i wasn't or I remember a guy that, you know, I said, who's going to take me seriously? I'm 19, you know, nobody's going to pay me a lot of money. And I said all these things. Well, I'm 30 now. I don't look a lot different. I got glasses. <laughs> I got some facial hair, but yeah. I look about the same as I did when I was, you know, if you, you want know, to shoot yeah. that video, like 18 yeah. to 28, I'm pretty much the same guy. But but my attitude, my demeanor, my completely different, completely yeah. different. But that happened over just continuing to put myself out there and continue to do it. And it started small, like, you know. I even tell people you can look and I say my first year in business I generated sixty thousand yeah. dollars, but I still had year one four, year two eight, and I still did stuff before I had the can like I was still putting myself out there that didn't really make anything. So things they take time, and then the second year I went backwards. It's an interesting <laughs> point because I'm a super impatient person. A lot of a lot of entrepreneurs are of right. They just want results immediately. And people listening right now are probably the same way. You know. But what I've learned, especially starting a new project like this, is I've got to enjoy the process. Because like you said, you know, that transformation happened over 10 years. But those 10 years are probably very special to you because you were slowly going through a transformation. And for me, it's tough to it's it's a tough thing to do, but I'm starting to really appreciate it more. Is one, like like we talk about, don't attach to the results so much. Like and just well, enjoy have the fun. process. I have think fun. every yeah. time I turn things into a business, yeah. I don't have fun and I don't get results. Like totally. that's been my biggest. If anybody wants to know, like anytime I've premeditated on ideas and planned everything out and thought this is how it's going to go, go. this is how I'm to do it, this is the money I'm going to make, it never works out. Yeah. It's the things that I just I go into, and I just have fun doing it because I think, well, how did I how did I become successful in video? I had no plan, had no idea what I was doing, had no major people to look up to. It was. Two years, the first year I broke $100,000, I paid a few thousand dollars to a mentor. And he didn't help me become a better shooter. In fact, I asked him, what's the difference between a $5,000 and $50,000 video? And he said, nothing. $45,000. Yeah, (laughs) $45,000. And he's like, it's really who you're dealing with and then your attitude and mindset around it. And that year I really broke through, but my work didn't become uniquely different. Like it didn't drastically change. And I think that that's where we get so caught up in all the the technicalities and the tactical stuff. But I guarantee you there's somebody and whatever anybody is listening right now that they're looking to want to do that is half crappy at what they do and they're making a great living doing it. But it's not because they are the best at the product part of it, but they're the best at the people part, the connections. They have maybe confidence in it and whatever. And I think it's a good way to look at it. You don't look at it like, like I'm the same way. Whenever I've thought about it as like a business, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to make this money. It doesn't work. So I think looking at it as a project, I was just going to an experiment, and that you can stop. Yeah. Even Tim Ferriss started his podcast with "I'm only going to do six episodes." Exactly. One of the biggest podcasts around now. (laughs) But I think that if he went in, well, I'm going to do six, and this is going to have to happen this way, and if I get this many, this, and da 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 da. But he had fun with it, and now. James Altucher, we're talking about, they're just having fun. And I think that when you just have fun, you'll win a lot more than when you're trying to have to do things a certain way, with certain outcomes, with certain results, with certain amounts of money. It's like because 
you'll never know how long it's really going to take. So true. And even just in terms of having fun and experimenting with this podcast. So I was planning on doing all Skype, audio only. Right. And then I went to the Bahamas and on the Mastermind Talks vacation. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And interviewed a lot of oh, guys so that's there. Right. Okay. And Philip, Philip McKernan was like, he just challenged me to do everything in person because the connection, the relationship just... I think it's a great idea. It's I so mean, much I... more powerful than just an audio-only Skype interview. But that's a challenge, right? Like we had a, we had a Skype interview right. set up, right? And then, and then we... I was like, sorry, dude, I'm not going to do it. We've got to do it in person. Yeah. And then I happened to be out in San Diego twice. Exactly. You know, and worked it out. But I think that... But that's a challenge. And I think most people, they then stop and go, shoot, how the heck am I going to do that? Right. Where, you know, I, I live in wherever. Well, I mean, again... There's just so many ways to look at things, and I think that you know people look up to Casey Neistat right now in, in the video space. And you know what's interesting is Casey is a case study of the my way thing. Did things his way, and as a byproduct, now people make videos going how to vlog like Casey Neistat, how to edit like Casey Neistat, how to shoot like Casey Neistat. So whenever you're thinking, you know, you can use people as a model, but you can't you can't completely model after them. If right? you're literally being them, but you're not them, you'll lose because there's an authenticity. And James and I were talking about this a lot. There's an authenticity that's completely lost. That when people like the Tucker Max and James Out Touch Your Podcast I listened to on the way here, talking about exactly that. People who try to write like they're like, I get drunk, I have sex, I do this, and you know, and so they write, but it's 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 because they, they're doing it with an intent of I'll be like, like Tucker. Tucker, right. Tucker got all this promotion, and same thing with like James, I'll pour my heart and soul onto the page. But when you come from that place of truly trying to just mimic or copy someone else, it'll get you somewhere, but it won't get you the place you're trying to go. It's not you. Yeah, it's not you. It's a great it's a great starter place. I feel like some like I feel like in video that's what I did. It got me a yeah. foundation, but you like can't stay there. How do you find your own voice though? It's very I feel like it's very hard because there's so many people out there that are preaching to you, telling you advice, and it's very easy to be influenced and then model yourself after somebody else. So how do you find your own voice? I don't think that people are all their own voice. So my why, my, my way thing isn't Michael Gebbin. It's a conglomerate of all the people that I looked up to and I modeled and I studied. What I stopped doing was having expectations that I'm going to take this edit from this company and I'm going to replicate it to an exact T. What I did is, is I started going into the shoots and just going, like I used to, the couples would tell me this is going to happen at this time and this and this and this and this and then none of it would happen and I already have the songs pre-set up and edits yeah, yeah. and I'm like, it's going to go here. And so what happened is I said, I'm just going to go and I'm just going to capture what's in front of the lens. And that's it. And I'm going to take everything I've learned and everything that I know. And I think that this – it's like when people – I think the worst piece of advice is telling someone to double the rates. Now, it's also a great piece of advice. When's it a great piece of advice? When you've got more demand than you have supply. The guy who has no demand and doubles his rates ends up with no business. And that's where people go wrong because I've had people say, oh, my God, it was the greatest thing that ever happened. I said, how long are you in business? said eight years. And then they're like, I was so overwhelmed. I was about to give up. It was like where I was at in 2010. Yeah, so to develop a, a, you know, a your way, doing things your way, you got to first just do things, try things, try doing things like other people, find out what, because then you can go, well, I like this from Johnny and this from this person, this from Jack and this from Sally. And, and you bring all that in. And then pretty soon, you just I, I actually had to remove everybody. Like that's what I did back in the video space. I literally removed every single person who was influenced me. I didn't look at them anymore, I didn't watch their things, I didn't read their emails. Same thing happened recently again with me. All the inspires and da 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 and all these people. I had to stop listening to like ninety nine percent of them and then and be a 
producer rather than a you know a creator rather than a consumer. And I think that's the thing that sometimes everybody's in just 100% consumption mode. They don't produce, they don't create, and then they don't learn, so they can't find their voice or their way because they don't even they don't do anything. Right. And so, so we've talked about your dad a little bit, how he's been kind of an example of leadership for you. Who else has had, if you had to pinpoint one other person, who's had the single most profound impact on your life? You know, it's it's interesting. I mean, I I can give you a few. I think it'll be good. I mean, my mom has been a sweetheart and always been my probably biggest supporter in my life. Like, I think my, my we're, you know, my ability to be a sweetheart to everybody else and people really like me, I think I get from that. I think that there was a couple people in my life and a couple things that had happened that were really big impacts. One was a guy who I my parents had known their their parents since they were little and made movies together and then the 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 son babysat me and then when I started my company he was there all the time and helped out. And he always showed up at different times of the day. He would be like I'm going to be there at 10, wouldn't show up till 2 and whatever else and one day he left he said I'll be in in the morning and didn't come in that day and I didn't think anything of it and his cousin who worked with me as well at 9:30 at night August 7, 2007, called me up and said, I think Andrew passed away. And he was a person who would do anything for anybody. He bent over backwards to help somebody. He'd drive across the continental U.S. over a weekend to go see a concert. So he really would help anybody, but he also lived life to the fullest. Like the short life that he lived, like he lived it to the max. And I think when that happened in 2007, it really like – it ties into some stuff I got in with debt, but it, it – that's a whole other conversation, but like it just taught me I if I want something and I got to do it, I got to do it. Like if I really in my heart feel like whatever it takes, like if I have to put some on a credit card or I mean some of these projects and things, I did that. I mean, you talk about risk as an entrepreneur, like I life was worth living. Like I'm like we I got one life to live and I don't know if I, I, I and I've seen multiple people in my life even now recently like people I'm connected with and whatever like boom, it's gone. For no I mean I've seen it. I've seen it myself. Like you don't think, even. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Just the other day, actually, I had. I was on Facebook. Like so, I had a. We had basically growing up. We had a family friend, who you know we played sports together. The kids, our parents are friends, and I just saw the other day, that, he was sixty sixty one years old. So he's he's a little older, but not. But he's healthy. He's a big scuba diver. He ran all the time. He just went for a morning jog. Boom! Heart attack. Dead. And then crazy the so his name was buddy brown so i think a day later or two days later his son joey who i was friends with growing up and his wife had a had a son that day and buddy brown that's his name so but it's just it's a good it's a good reminder that tomorrow's not promised and we talk about it a lot actually on the on in a lot of these conversations we have that i think it's not going to happen to us yeah you don't but it could be literally tomorrow. And one day it's going to come. It's yeah. going to come. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's the thing. And I think so. So we, we called him Andy Man. His name was Andrew Walters. And so that was huge. Another one is since about 2012 now, about five years, I've been walking when I'm at home with my grandpa at the mall. I mean, he's 80. And one day I asked him what was one of his biggest regrets of something he did and then something he did not do. And I even just saw a freaking Toyota commercial that yeah. said exactly this line I'm about to say, but. The truth is he instantly had the one he regretted not doing and couldn't come up with anything that he had done. And so you know, I just learned that 
you know, when you're thinking about all this stuff and you're worrying what's going to happen, the faster you iterate, the faster you try, the faster you fail and you take action and you do things and you learn from it. You don't let your friends, your family and society and all these people who really and truly, if, if I'm being completely honest, when I think about it, 99% of it's in my head. My friends, my family, society, and peers are actually not saying a damn thing to me about <laughs> don't do this or do this. You know, they're not. I make it up in my head because I think I have to get it outside of me and I have to blame someone else. But it's really me that's the little you know guy on my shoulders telling me to not do something or you're not good enough or whatever. And and so I just learned from my grandpa, it's the things that you don't try. And for him, it wasn't getting his books published. And he let one single agent or whatever get it to a one publisher who basically said, if you'd have written these 50 years ago, they've been bestsellers. And of course, we know now that like there's no gatekeepers, there's no anybody yeah. that's holding you back. And so don't let yourself, because I guarantee a lot of people, it's not their, I mean, some people, yeah, they're family, they're in certain scenarios and they're really hardcore. And I get some of that, but at the same time, a lot of it, it's really us. We're the ones holding ourselves back. On that note, we've talked a lot about just trying, going to do something, taking action, getting, getting comfortable being uncomfortable, right? So if you had to just give the fail on community a challenge yeah. that they could go attack this week, what would that be? Well, I was I didn't mention much of the story. We talked about it right before, but I had a guy that I, I did some, some training with and he wanted to shoot. He was a videographer and he wanted to shoot. He wanted to make a living doing video. And for 10 years, he was almost the same age as me. So we're both 30. He wasn't making any money doing it. And he had lost a job that he'd had in 2014. He said he went balls to the walls doing this thing. And he was like $12,000 in debt and he made like $1,000. And the question I had asked him is I said, if you didn't need any money, what would you do? And the first thing he said to me is he goes, poker runs. I was like, poker runs? I don't know what that is. He goes, it's these boat races. He goes, I've been filming this one for free in Atlanta for about four years. He goes, but last year, this was January 2015, I, I got a hold of him. He goes, but last year I, I reached out to Anthem. They couldn't afford me. They didn't want it, whatever. And this is where the imperfect action for everybody comes into play. He ended up reaching out to about 200 of these poker runs across the United States and Canada. And within about four or five months, he got a $50,000 contract from one that did like 50 of them. And they gave him a contract for like 15. But it was that you don't know, like, out of the 200, there weren't that many that reached back out. So in his mind, though, he reached out to a bunch. So we were joking beforehand. Right. It's like, whatever you think you've tried or you've been busy at, I promise you probably, you know, you think you've reached out to 30 when it's really only been three. So just increase that, that, that doing, that trying, that action on whatever it is. Like, don't try to figure out everybody has listened to enough things and knows enough stuff that there's something on their mind that they've been wanting to do or have tried a little bit. And just do a little bit more of it than you, you've ever done. Push a little bit harder. So for me, it's just that that reaching out to somebody that, that you kind of, that you you know, whoever it is, big or small. I've had an easier time sometimes reaching out to the bigger people than yeah, the smaller people. Totally. So anyways, I can go on and on. But No, I love that. And I want to obviously respect your time. It's all good. I can and... be here forever for you. <laughs> I love well, it. Yeah, no, same. It's, it's been a great oh, conversation. Man. And I'm sure... I'm sure it won't be our last. So oh, man. thanks so much for, Thank you. for joining. Rock and, and roll, buddy. Catch you next time. Thank you. All right. So you can find Michael at mgebs on Twitter. That's at mgebs, G-E-B-B-S. And of course, all the links and resources Michael and I discussed, including more information on his YouTube channel and Jumpstarter program, can be found at the page we created especially for this episode. That'll be at failon.com slash 028. 
And next week, we are sitting down with my good friend, Tim J.P. Collins. Tim is known as the Breakthrough Anxiety Coach and has been dedicated to supporting others who suffer with panic attacks, stress, and anxiety. His technique isn't just about coping, it's about facing anxiety and fear and overcoming it to live the life you are actually destined for. In this episode, Tim shares his personal experience with anxiety and panic attacks and what he's actually done to turn his struggles into opportunity through helping others. That'll drop next week. Don't miss it. And if the podcast has the wheels turning, please email me at rob and let me know what your biggest struggle is in getting started in business or breaking through the next level of your existing business. And as I continue to build fail on with the goal of helping employees become entrepreneurs, I'd be really grateful for a couple things that are so small, but matter a ton to me. Subscribing to the podcast takes a single click and helps the show get found by more people. And obviously when people can find it, it means it can help more people, which means you are helping people by simply subscribing. So to subscribe and rate and review the podcast, it's super easy. Just visit failon.com slash iTunes or failon.com slash Stitcher. That's all for this episode of the Fail On Podcast. For more resources, show notes, and action items to help you find success in your failures, sign up for our mailing list at failon.com. For more actionable inspiration, we'll catch you next time right here on the Fail On Podcast.